0: Hello and welcome to the Travels with Jim Hamill podcast. This is actually episode 11, but if you're hearing this, odds are that this is brand new to you. You have no idea what this is or why I'm sending it to you, so let me explain a little bit. I make these podcasts for people that go on my tours. I made them for the people that went to Ireland and my sense was that they really enjoyed them and found them useful for their trip. And so now I'm gonna shift gears. I made 10 of them for Ireland. I'm hopeful that I'm gonna make several, at least make a few for Paris as well. So if you're hearing this, it's likely because you're coming on my Paris tour and I forwarded this to, to you to listen to. So that is what we're doing here. I also sort of make these with a broader audience in mind as well, partly because I'm going to do tours in the future, but also partly because I found that a lot more people listen to these than actually go on my tours. Whenever I look at the numbers, of course, that's, that's what I see. So I try to make them a little broader in that way as well. And to explain why I'm making these and why I think they're useful, I should probably explain what I'm trying to avoid. When I started putting together our tour to Ireland, I had this sort of vision in my mind, which was people traveling around in the coach. And you know it takes us a while to get to a place. We finally get there. And then they pile out, getting ready to go see the ruin or the scenic place or whatever. And then I say, hold up, hold up. Let me stand here and tell you about this place for 10 or 15 minutes and give you some context into what you're looking at. And then they stand there bored and wishing I would turn them loose to go look at whatever it is we were there to see while I sort of jabber on about the place. So that's what I wanted to avoid. But at the same time, I knew there would be people that would want context and want information about the places we were going. And so I wanted to be able to give it. And I came up with this idea of the podcast. And initially, my thought was that, it could be something that they could use to listen to as we traveled around and kill time that way. But my understanding is everybody listened to them ahead of time. And so that's kind of the way I'm preparing these now is something for you to listen to ahead of time to get some context about where we're going and what we're doing that'll hopefully create a big picture view of our place that as you go to discrete places, whether they be museums or or castles or or scenic places or anything else that when you get the discrete information about that place, it, it makes sense to you. You can fit it into a bigger picture. In other words, say for example, like we're gonna go to the Louvre right away on our Paris trip. Well they're gonna give you a lot of information. They're gonna give you a, a little pamphlet when you walk in. The pieces themselves will be labeled and there'll be signs up with information. And so you're gonna get that sort of discrete information as you go around. But walking in the door, you're gonna have questions like, what is this place? Where did it come from? How did this get built? And and that sort of thing. And that's the kind of thing that I'm looking to answer. Now that's just an example of one that we'll do. Today, what I wanna do is actually just give you a little overview of Paris. What I wanna do is avoid this sense that you're just sort of plopped into the city and that you just sort of wander around with no idea of where you're going or where you are within the city at any given time. The reality is France is a big city, but in a way it's a small city. It's huge in a lot of ways in that, for example, there's 2 million people that live in the city itself. And there's 12 million people that live in the sort of Paris metro area. So it's huge. And if you ever look at it on a map, you can see that it looks like a big circle. There's a big ring road that runs around it, and it's very large. But the reality is we're going to stay in the center. That's where all the cool stuff is, and that's where the things that you came to see are. So we will be there most of the time and we won't go to these outlying areas there's nothing wrong with these outlying areas and if you had a month and a half then you could go out there and visit those too but that's not really what you're here to do and nobody has time for that i should mention though right away there's one way that paris is set out or laid out or organized that you're going to hear about and it's called the arrondissements Arrondissements are these districts created to divide up Paris into regions that each have their own little municipal government. There's 20 of them, and you don't need to know really anything about them except how they're laid out because it'll help you understand where you are within Paris at any given time. Here's the way it works the very, very center of Paris is the first arrondissement, and I forgot if I said it or not, but there's 20 arrondissements. Number one is right smack dab in the middle of Paris. It's essentially where the Louvre is, and it's right on the Seine. And we'll talk more about the Seine and all that in a minute. But that's, that's where one is. And the key to remember about arrondissements is that they work in a spiral pattern, moving clockwise from there. So the second arrondissement is just a little to the north of the first one. And then the third moves off to the right or to the east a little bit. The fourth moves a little bit southeast. And the fifth is south of the Seine now. It's actually where the Latin Quarter is, if you're familiar with that. If not, don't worry, because we'll get to that in a second. And then they start working to the west and to the north. And so you move on to the west and you hit the seventh which is where the Eiffel Tower is, and then you start moving north and around. The 8th is where the Champs-Élysées is. The ninth is where our hotel will be, and you move out from there and continue in this sort of spiral pattern. You really only need to know about maybe the first 9, and and then even not all of them. Just remember that 1 is right in the center, 5 is the Latin Quarter, 7 is where the Eiffel Tower is, 8 is the Champs-Élysées, and 9 is where our hotel is. So that is really all you need to know there. And the reality is you don't even need to know that. I just suspect you're gonna hear about arrondissements, And so I want you to understand uh, what they are. Also, if you look up a place, say you're deciding to go out to eat. We have a, a free night where you can go pick your own restaurant and go wherever you want. So you're looking at a list of restaurants and you're wondering where they are. Are they far away or are they close? How can you tell? Well. You can tell by arrondissements because every French address has the arrondissement in it. Now, it won't say third arrondissement, but what it will say, it'll look like a postal code, like a zip code at the end. And they all start with 750, and then there'll be two numbers. And so if it says, say, 75003, that's in Paris in the third arrondissement. If it says 75007 that is Paris in the seventh arrondissement. And so those last two digits are gonna tell you the deal. That way, if you're looking at a, a list of restaurants and you see one you like and you, it says 75007, well, you say, oh, that's that's near the Eiffel Tower. I know where that is. They're not that small, so not like it'll be right next door to the Eiffel Tower, but it'll be in that general region. So that's how they can help you figure this out. Anyway, that doesn't really tell you how Paris is laid out. So let's talk about that. Again, I mentioned if you look at a map of Paris, it's going to look like a big circle based on this ring road. And what you'll see cutting right through the center is a river, and that river is the Seine. Now, it meanders a bit, so it's not like it's a straight line through the center, but it does go right through the center. And it is really the key for determining where you are. A lot of times when you see it, you'll you'll know exactly where you are. Honestly, a lot of times you can be near the Seine And then you can see the Eiffel Tower in one direction, and then you'll know where you are. You sort of triangulate based on those two things. So keep that in mind. But the Seine is really important to our trip, and we're going to spend a lot of time on it. And one of the reasons we spend a lot of time on it, because it's very scenic. Obviously, you can't build on the Seine. I mean, they built bridges, but that's it. And so what happens is it really opens up views for you. And so when we're going around Paris, trying to take pictures of scenic spots and see scenic things, well, we're gonna be near the Seine much of that time because you, you get the most sort of opened up views. So you'll, you'll spend a lot of time on, on it. Now, on the Seine, there are two important islands and they are also right smack in the middle of Paris. And they're very important. And they can also help you sort of recognize where you are and how this is laid out. The first one is called Isle de la Cite, C-I-T-E. And it is the larger of the two, and it's where Notre Dame is. There are some other things on the island as well, like St. Chapelle and things like that. But it's really known for the place where Notre Dame is. The other island is right next to it, and it's called Isle St. Louis. And it is not one where there's big, massive, show-stopping tourist attractions. It was actually developed as a neighborhood for the rich in 1600s, and it sort of still maintains some of that character. Feels like you're in a place where people actually live, and it's a neat place to walk through. But don't be looking for you know big museums or big tourist attractions there. But those are two islands right next door to each other, both in the Seine right in the center of paris in fact notre dame is referred to often as the center point of paris while we're talking about the seine and uh, the islands and all that we should mention some bridges as well there's a lot of bridges that cross the seine it's hardly an impediment anymore i say anymore like it was it hasn't been an impediment in hundreds of years but while there's lots of bridges there's really only a few that i think will draw your attention and so i kind of wanted to tell you what they are and I'm going to do these from sort of, if you're looking down on a map, from right to left. And the first is I'm going to talk about is called Pont Neuf. And it goes right over Isle de la City, where Notre Dame is. The thing to know about Pont Neuf, and Pont Neuf means new bridge, which is odd in that it's the oldest bridge in Paris. It was actually built in the late 1500s and finished in 1607. So this thing is ancient older than our country but called the new bridge because that's what it was at the time and they never changed it It is a a sort of whitish stone bridge really wide and that was important at the time because Not only were they were taking vehicles across it, but the people used to sort of promenade there and back So it was a big deal for French life. That's a bridge to pay attention to and when we're near or on the Isle de la City, and we will be, uh, on at least a few occasions, be on the lookout for that. Another one is called Pont des Arts, and you can probably hear me struggling with these names and sort of trying to say them slightly French, but not really, so uh, I almost don't know how to handle this. The truth is I don't speak French, and I don't understand French pronunciation, and so I'm saying these, you know, rather English, and I'll spell them when I can, and this one is D-E-S- A-R-T-E-S. It is famous for something they called the love locks, and you may have seen this. Basically, at some point, people started putting locks on this bridge, like little padlocks. They were couples, and it was a symbol of their enduring love or whatever. So they would put these locks on this bridge, and then more people started doing it, and more people started doing it, and there were, I read somewhere, there was like, literally over a million locks on this bridge. The problem was, was that essentially made the bridge structurally unsound. That the weight of these locks was more than this bridge was designed to handle. So the French authorities came in about eight years ago and they removed all the locks. And so they're not there anymore. They actually have made it illegal to put locks on this bridge now. They've also put, it looks like little, plexiglass panels on there too to prevent you from putting a lock on the 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 bridge structure some people still have last time i was there there were there were locks on it but It's illegal and it's just generally frowned upon. I don't think they were viewed as particularly handsome and the French just sort of rolled their eyes at it when it was going on and now it's actively discouraged. So sorry to burst your bubble, but uh, no locks on the bridge. The third one of interest is Pont Alexander III this is the most ornate bridge in paris it's stone and it has these huge statues on either side of it and when you see it you'll know it and it's by far like i said the the most ornate it's named after a russian czar believe it or not it seems weird and you'll see this in paris all the time there's places named after franklin roosevelt there's places named after john f kennedy there's people named after people from all these different countries that have some significance or importance to to the french and this one was Alexander III. He was a czar of Russia in the late 1800s. It's sort of interesting why they did this because he was very important to the French. There was a war in basically 1870 where Prussia, which was in the process of uniting with the German uh, kingdoms and becoming Germany, got into war with France. This was Otto von Bismarck, if you're familiar with that. He was the chancellor of Prussia. He sort of lures the French into this war that he knows he's going to win because they're very militaristic and they have better uh, arms and steel and that sort of thing. The French emperor at the time was named Napoleon III. He was the uh, nephew of Napoleon. Napoleon didn't have any children. And like I said, he got sort of duped into this war. He rides off with his army. The Germans crush them immediately at the Battle of Sedan. He's actually taken... The emperor, French emperor Napoleon is taken hostage and it's a complete unmitigated disaster for the French and the Germans invade, they surround Paris, they bombard Paris and uh, the French surrender. It's a big, bad deal. Bismarck is famous not only for that, but he basically viewed France as Germany's natural enemy. And in his view, they, they just were never going to get along. There was never going to be peace. That, that was it. They were just the natural enemy. And so in addition to this war, what he does is he goes out and sets up a series of alliances with other European countries. And the idea is that he's going to essentially surround Paris via this alliance structure between him and these other countries. And so France would always be second fiddle within Europe. And that's what he does. And the key to that was Russia. Russia was a big part of this German alliance. But in the 1890s, France managed to convince Russia to essentially switch sides and enter into an alliance with it. And the emperor of Russia, who agreed to that, or the Tsar of Russia, I should say, was this Alexander III. And he actually visited Paris, and it was a big thing. And that's why they named the bridge after him. So maybe more than you needed to know, but I think it's sort of interesting. The final one a bridge that I wanted to mention is called the Bir Hakim Bridge, bir H-A-K-E-I-M. And I was wondering why a a bridge in Paris would have a very Arab-sounding name. And it's actually because this was the site of a a battle in World War II in North Africa. And I believe it was the first time the Free French under de Gaulle had really meaningfully participated in a battle and uh, defeated the Germans in North Africa. So it was a big deal to them, and they named the bridge after it. So... Uh, We're actually going to spend some time on that bridge photographing. It has really nice views of the Eiffel Tower. You'll see when we're there. I can almost guarantee there's a a few brides being photographed on the bridge. So that gives you an idea of the scenery that that you'll have there. So it's really cool. Anyway, that is now the Seine, the islands, the bridges. And I think those are things that we're going to run into quite a bit. Let's talk now about how Paris is laid out on either side of that because that's important. You're gonna hear two terms when we're there and, and before if you read anything about it, which are left bank and right bank. The left bank is essentially the southern bank as you look at it on a map and the right bank is the northern bank. And so if you're say on the Seine and you're headed downstream and it's weird too because the Seine runs towards the ocean which is to the west so so, or basically the northwest so it's running right to left if you're looking at a map of Paris. These are important terms because they denote a lot more than just sort of which side of the river they're on. There was a character to each of them and, and you can still see it today. Basically the left bank is where there were a lot of universities and so there was a lot of students a lot of intellectuals and they're still there we'll visit a few of them in fact a big chunk of that is what's called the latin quarter they call it the latin quarter because latin was spoke there a lot given that the universities were there so that tells you a little bit about the character of that place the right bank is where you're gonna see palaces. It was known for royal things and places. It was known for commercial activity. And so the right bank had a much different character than did the left bank with its universities and intellectuals and all that. So that was a super meaningful distinction and you'll still hear it referred to that way today. Now, within these left bank and right bank, there's other regions that are important. On the left bank, the main one, like I said, is the Latin Quarter. And we'll spend a day before the tour starts sort of walking around this area. It's not an area where you're gonna have big showstopper attractions, but it's an area where there's lots of smaller streets and there's just lots of interesting little places that we'll go into. So that's the first one. And it's right in the center on the left or south side of the Seine. And there's not much else out there except if you follow the Seine out a ways, also on the left side will be the Eiffel Tower. And the, around the eiffel tower is something called the champ de mars which is a big park and it's cool to hang out in as you're visiting the eiffel tower but those are two areas to be aware of just remember that that latin quarter is in the very center and the eiffel tower is out a ways to the west also on the south or left side of the scent on the right side immediately you have the louvre You have gardens that are called the Tuileries Gardens, and there used to be a palace there. And that is right in the center there. So that is just sort of referred to as the center or the heart of Paris. I don't think that area has a particular name. There are other places with names that you should be aware of though. One of them is the Champs-Elysees. And that is just kind of an area, the street is so famous that it's one of those deals where everybody within a certain radius says they're close to the Champs-Elysees. It's just partly something that people have heard of and partly something that they actually want to be associated with. The Champs-Elysees is a street that runs, I mentioned the Louvre as being in the center. It runs from the Louvre right to the place called Place de la Concorde, which is an enormous traffic circle with these big fountains and things in it. And then it keeps running up all the way, and this is where all the shops are and everything, uphill a little bit to the Arc de Triomphe. It runs more or less west to east, but it's all on the right side. And I should mention too, not all of the street I just mentioned is actually called the Champs-Elysees, but it does, that street does run from the Louvre to the Art de Triomphe and the part up closer to the Arc de Triomphe is what's actually the Champs-Elysees. Two other areas on the right I wanted to mention because you're likely to hear about them and, and we will be in both. The first one is called Montmartre. It's actually kind of like a hill that you go up. And at the very top of this hill is a cathedral or basilica called Sacre-Coeur. It looks ancient, but it's actually not that old. It was built in the late 1800s, and it's a big basilica. They're very ornate, and you have great views down to Paris as well. So we'll definitely be visiting that. Montmartre is also famous because that's where a lot of the impressionists lived back in the day and it's still a place where there's a lot of cool little cafes a lot of cool little streets and and things like that and I believe there's still a lot of artists that live there certainly there's a lot that work there now so that's one area the other area is called the Marais and it is a place where there are a lot of old roads and buildings that are preserved so there's a lot of shops and cafes and bars uh, on there as well it's again not a place where there's a lot of big highlights monuments and museums and stuff like that just more a place with shops and bars and, and things but it's a very cool place to go and we'll spend a little bit of time there and that leads to something else that you may hear about that I want to bring up, which is this notion of the layout of Paris and how it got that way. Basically Paris was a medieval city with small roads and alleys and it was sort of cramped and everything was very pushed together. And I know some of you are photographers, so you may be familiar with a guy named At-J, Atget, A-T-G-E-T famous French photographer. He worked in the late 1800s and early 1900s. And the point of his pictures was that he was trying to take pictures of old Paris because Paris was in this time of rapid change. And that's what I wanna mention to you here is that whereas Paris was this old medieval city, It was sort of shaking itself out of that starting in the late late 1800s. And there's a guy you may hear about while you're there and his name is Baron Haussmann, H-A-U-S-S-M-A-N, I believe. He was an appointee of an emperor that I mentioned earlier, Napoleon III. Napoleon III was basically emperor for about 20, 25 years in the middle to late 1800s. So a time of big change in the world. And he appointed this guy, Hausmann to essentially renovate Paris and make it more modern. They did that partly for beautification reasons and things like that, but partly for their own selfish reasons, which were that these narrow streets made it easy for the French, when they wanted to revolt, to throw up the barricades. And, And you've seen this from everything from Les Mis on, that... French Revolution on, they would throw up the barricades and and revolt. The French did it seemingly all the time, and they had done it as recently as 1848. So this wasn't like ancient history. This was stuff that had been going on. The idea was that by broadening these streets, they would make it harder, if not impossible, for them to just throw up these barricades, block themselves in, and create a situation where the authorities couldn't get from place to place or couldn't get the people that were revolting. So that's what they set out to do and they destroyed entire blocks of France. They really just destroyed a lot of things, changed a lot of things, and they created this big system of boulevards that you see now and also a lot of the big traffic circles that you're going to see. You'll be surprised at how big some of these are. The one around the Art de Triomphe, for example, is huge. It's like a 12-lane traffic circle. There's other ones as well, but they have these big open areas with traffic circles in various places throughout Paris with these big boulevards. And this big openness was all created by this guy, Baron Haussmann in the 1860s, 1870s, that time frame. By the time At-Jay comes along, it's the 1890s, but this process is still going on. And so what he is doing is essentially seeking out these little streets and these little alleys and taking pictures of them. And he studiously avoided all the big monuments and all the big open areas. He just looked for these little small areas. So if you're not familiar with him, check him out. Again, at J-A-T-G-E-T. But anyway, as you look at these streets, these big wide boulevards, and you're going down these big sidewalks and they are a joy, it's awesome. Paris is the easiest European city to get around that I've seen. So it's great. And that all comes from our man Hausman. So anyway, I've been talking for a while now. I think this should give you something of a nice overview of how things are laid out. Again, I'm not trying to make you a master uh, where you can just be giving directions to people in Paris and wandering around without a map. I just want you to have some sense of an overview of the city. I think that'll help as you go places. Then you can fill that in with more detailed knowledge and more detailed appreciation of, of things as you see them. So hopefully that helps. Hopefully you find this useful. We'll have a lot more information for you in additional podcasts. And then, of course, once we get to Paris, which won't be long now, hope you're getting excited. So talk to you later.